Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So, we're in our series, How to Pray, and we're looking at what we often call the Lord's Prayer. It's really probably more the Disciples' Prayer, because this is Jesus giving not only what to pray, but how to pray. It's a pattern for prayer. And my mind's been blown as I've been studying this because once again, you get to see Jesus's absolute brilliance as he's giving us all the riches of prayer in a seven line poem. It's incredible. And so what we've been using as a, as a, as a structure to help us internalize what he teaches us is this acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And so we're going line by line through Jesus's prayer poem. And first of all, it begins with pausing. That as we come before the living God, who is our father, he wants us to be sincere. He wants us to offer our real selves. And so Jesus talks about the tools of solitude, of silence, and of stillness as things that help us present our our genuine selves before God. And then as we begin to speak, we saw last week that we first rejoice. Adoration, thanksgiving are the natural starting place because of this. Whatever else is happening in Christ, the ultimate reality is that God is our heavenly father. Every word that we pray, therefore, is as his beloved sons and daughters who are beginning from a place of acceptance, a place of already being loved. And we, we pray from the place of knowing that we get to enjoy the greatest thing in the universe for all eternity. And so praise and adoration pours out of us. And only once we've paused and rejoiced does Jesus bring us to the third great movement of prayer, which is to ask. And so we're focusing in on Matthew 6, verses 10 and 11 today. So I want to read these very, very familiar words to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you were to ask a hundred people, what is prayer? I would be surprised if 95 of them didn't answer something like asking God for stuff, asking God for things. And if you've heard the previous couple of messages, you might be tempted to come away with saying, well, you know, a more spiritual form of prayer is to just be silent before God, you know, just meditation or, or, or worshiping God. And so we have this tendency to maybe spiritualize it or make it more mature. But actually, I think Jesus is saying, those people would be right in saying that. Our word pray comes actually from the Middle English meaning to ask earnestly. So the very word pray means to ask. And think about this. When Jesus teaches us about prayer, he gives, it, he gives his teaching in the form of a seven-line poem. The first line is an address. The six other lines are requests. Three related to God, 
and his glory, and three related to us and our needs. And I think it's this brilliant encapsulation of Jesus's whole ethic that he says, the number one thing is that you love God and you love people. And this is contained within this prayer. And so even though we might think that, you know, true spiritual prayer is just worshiping and adoration and contemplation, when Jesus teaches us about prayer, he says the heart of it is asking. And so the first question I want to get into here is, why is it important to ask? And the first thing we see is asking is the dynamic of relationship. Asking is the dynamic of relationship. If you think back to the the kind of preamble to Jesus's prayer, he begins by telling us, don't try and manipulate God with your words. Don't try and manipulate other people with appearances and and the way you speak. In the kingdom, Jesus says, when you want something, the way to go about it is to simply ask. Simply ask. Why? Because asking is the way of relationship. And if you think about the relationships in your life, the more intimate, the more likely you are to ask. And the more intimate, the more you're likely to ask, more likely, the more likely you're to ask for more. The less intimate, the more likely you are to demand. So for instance, if you're a judge summoning someone to court and you write the letter, you're not really asking them, you know, if you can make it, if it's no trouble, would you mind coming down? We're going to get together. It's not an ask. It is a demand. It's a command. (laughs) Be here now. And so what that does is it establishes a boundary, right? And it's the boundary of authority. This is clearly who's in charge and you obey. All right. But in any situation where it's a person that you want to have relationship with, instinctively, you're going to use the mode of asking, of requesting, not demanding. Friends, ask. Lovers, ask. Children ask their parents. And children are, of course, the, you know, the example par excellence of how to ask with persistence. Um, (laughs) I have a four-year-old, and she's teaching me a lot about this. She's really good at asking a lot. (laughs) And It's the most natural thing in the world to ask your parents for things, to ask your dad for what you need. And you know, most of the time, the questions that she asks me, most of the time I can preempt it. It's usually to do with a snack or watching a show, something like that. I can usually, I usually know, depending on the time of day, what her mood has been like. I I pretty much know what she's going to ask for, right? but I still want her to ask. There's still value in her asking because it's in her asking that we have the opportunity to build a relationship. She has the opportunity to present her needs to me and I have the opportunity to respond, to give. So she gets to learn how to depend and how to trust and I get to show how much I love her. 
So there's value in the asking, even though I can preempt what she's going to ask for most of the time. And so when God asks us to ask, when he tells us to ask, it's not because he needs the information. It's not because he doesn't know what we want. Jesus already told us. He already knows what you want. It's because he wants us to mature as his kids. And he wants our relationship to grow and to to deepen. When we ask, we actually, this, this, this is mind-blowing. When we ask, we actually get the opportunity to influence God. And if you, if you think that sounds impossible, you think that sounds crazy, just read the Bible. I guarantee you it's in there. Read about how Abraham influenced God, how Moses influenced God, how how. And, and all the way through the Bible, you see the, the children of God, the people of God pouring out their hearts, making their requests known, and God taking those requests into account. We get the absolutely incredible privilege by asking to cooperate with God in the running of the universe. Whoa. <laughs> wow. I love... Dallas Willard's phrase that prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. I love that. Talking to God about what we're doing together. God's intent for us as his kids is, it's the same intent that any of us would have as a good parent. We want our kids, we we want to develop our kids into the type of people that we can trust with all the keys to all the stuff. Right? Right? We want our kids to grow up into the kind of people that we can entrust with the keys to the kingdom. And in order to do that, he teaches us through this relationship of asking and receiving. It's this kingdom dynamic. This is how it works. So in prayer, God is giving us the the privilege of joining with him to accomplish his mission. And so the next point is this, that asking teaches us how to govern the kingdom. Asking actually trains us in how to govern with God. Because the promise of scripture is that the children of God will one day reign with Christ over a new heaven and new earth. That's the ultimate goal. That's the destiny of all of his kids. So asking is about the dynamic of relationship and asking is how God has ordained that we would be trained to know how to govern his stuff. But the next natural question is, okay, what should we be asking for? And so this is what Jesus teaches us. And I think there's two main aspects to this, two main forms of asking. When we're asking for ourselves, it's called petition. When we're asking for other people, it's called intercession. And so these are words, if you're in churchianity for any amount of time, you hear these words thrown around a lot, you know, petition, the, you know, the intercessors. Sounds like a good band name, I think, right? I don't know what they would be. Uh, Petition is asking for ourselves. Intercession is asking for others. And so you see these kind of things reflected in all the, the lines of this prayer. You could give an entire series just on each one of those, all right? So this, this will necessarily be just skimming the surface. 
and there's lots of books that you can go, go read and, and lots of people that I can tell you, go. If you want to know about intercession, uh, intercession, go talk to this person because that's an intercessor. All right. So we're really just going to scratch the surface today, but there's a couple things that I think are so important for us to see in what Jesus teaches us. So each of the requests, there's, there's six petitions, but each of them is both a petition and a way of interceding. And so each of them has an inward aspect, an outward aspect to other people, and an upward aspect towards God. So last week, we really looked at the first petition, which is, hallowed be your name. And that's a request that God's name be made holy, regarded as holy. It's an expression of our worship, of our adoration, but it's also a petition for me that, God, may I see that you are the most valuable thing in all the world, that nothing is more precious and beautiful and, and, and worthy of my time, attention, and love and adoration than you. That's what we're asking. That's a petition for ourselves. And it's also an intercession for the world that we're praying, Lord, may the world at large, may the church in particular, see that you are the most valuable thing, that your name is holy and precious. May it be put in that place that it deserves. And so we're both interceding and we're petitioning. And so that's the first request that's in this prayer. And if that's our desire for us and for the world, well, then the next request that Jesus tells us about makes perfect sense. It flows naturally out of that. If God is the greatest thing, then his kingdom is necessarily the greatest possible thing for the world. For his kingdom to come is the absolute, we're praying for the best of all possible worlds, worlds to be realized. So as you know, I grew up in England and this past couple of weeks has been a very sad couple of weeks as the queen passed away and 70 years of rule and we've been watching all the pageantry and all the stuff and, and she was queen of England to the world, but she was, her kingdom was far beyond just England. It was, it was Great Britain, but it was far beyond Great Britain. It was also all these other territories. So how do you define a kingdom? Well, her kingdom was anywhere that she had the ability to carry out her will. Now, of course, you know that the British monarchy today is really just a figurehead. They don't have actual political power. They have influence. But if, if you think about what a kingdom is, it's anywhere where the king is able to affect his will. And so when you, when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's really th- that second petition there, you're kind of just expanding on what the first one means. For his kingdom to come means that his will is able to be executed in a greater and greater space. And so the two things are really tied together. One thing is, is interlinked with the other. So what is this about? What are we praying here? Well, we got to remember, as we're praying this, we are internalizing the worldview of Jesus. And Jesus's worldview is completely saturated in scripture. And so 
Everything he prays is scriptural. And what we see here is that as we pray this, we're getting caught up in the whole sweep of the story of the Bible. We're getting caught up in the whole sweep of the story of creation, of sin, and redemption. We're praying to our Father in heaven, and we're asking for his kingdom to come. And as we do that, we're acknowledging he's king. You're king. You are sovereign over history. And yet there's this little bit of paradox in here, because at the same time as proclaiming that he is king, we're also recognizing that there are somehow other kingdoms. There's somehow other wills that oppose his will and his kingdom. And so it takes us back to Genesis. You read the book of Genesis and you see that God's original intent is heaven and earth are completely overlapping. It's, it's one space. God is walking in the cool of the, the afternoon in the garden with, with Adam and Eve There's no barrier. There's no gap. And of course, we know sin enters the world. And effectively, what what our first parents did is they rebel against God. They declare independence from God. And they set up this alternate kingdom. And, And effectively, humanity from then on has said, God, we reject you as king. We will rule ourselves. Thank you very much. And so a lot of times what we think is that well, there was this divorce between heaven and earth and they're, they're completely separate now. And so the mission of Jesus was a little bit like, you know, it was, it was like this extraction rescue mission where Jesus like parachutes in to earth and he grabs us and he, you know, takes them up through the chopper and goes to heaven and he's rescued us and we're saved from everything that's about to get bombed and destroyed. And... <laughs> You can get that impression a lot from the way that we talk about what it means to be saved, but that, that's the best way to cure you of that is to actually read the Bible. <laughs> because that's, that's not what it's about. It's, ap- it's ridiculous to think that we, ca- we could have pushed God out of his creation. No, no, no. Heaven and earth never were separated, they, they've always overlapped. Because right from the, the, the first moment where sin entered the world and there was, this, there was this, this divorce between God and man, God set in motion this plan of redemption, this plan of salvation. And so it's not about, you know, heaven rescuing us from earth and taking us up, up into heaven. It's about heaven invading earth and retaking that ground that's been lost to this rebellious alternate kingdom. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he says, the kingdom is here. The kingdom has arrived. Heaven is invading earth and slowly overcoming evil with good. And so, okay, I've just said Jesus, when he comes, he announces the kingdom of God has arrived. So, so why are we told to pray for the kingdom to come? If it's already arrived, why do we need to pray for it to come? Well, the invasion has begun, but it hasn't been completed yet. 
The kingdom has come, it's here, and yet it's being extended into all the areas where, where the darkness still holds sway. And it's this interesting, this, this amazing thing that we see in scripture that God is king, and yet he gives us this incredible dignity of free will. There are other wills that he allows to influence the universe. And because his kingdom operates on that principle of relationship, relationship between free beings, what that means is it's still possible. Even though he's king, it's possible to reject his lordship. It's possible to reject his kingship. And so as we pray both petition and intercession, we're praying for ourselves and we're praying for the world and for the church. We're interceding for the world that God's way of doing things, his desires, his kingdom would win the day. And so we're acknowledging, God, you are the true king. You're already king, but we're praying that your rule would be accepted everywhere. That, that your will would be, be able to be executed everywhere. And so that's, that's how we're, we're interceding with that prayer that your kingdom come. And there's, there's, again, that could be a whole message in itself of what are the implications of that? What, what does a, the, the kingdom of God worked out in the church and in society look like? But there's an even more fundamental level that we're praying at when we pray this, because I think we're also petitioning, Lord, would your kingdom invade my heart? Would you become the king of this space that I inhabit? This, this realm of my will, would you be Lord and king of my kingdom? And so as we pray that, what, what it means is we're, we're actually relinquishing control. And I think there's probably nothing that's harder for a modern Western person to do than to relinquish the idea of having any control. Because virtually everything, every message that we receive from society, from culture, from everything around us is that we can control. We, we assert our rights. We can make our dreams happen. You know, we seize the day. Even the whole thing about science, the message that we receive is that through the application of science, we can dominate and control all the natural world. We can, we can make the universe bend to our will. And so this is what Jesus is teaching us about kingdom life in the kingdom of heaven. You are not the king of this kingdom. When you say your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is God, you're king and not me. That's, that's, the, that's our starting point. And actually, that's really good news. <laughs> not only because, you know, thank God I'm not the king of the universe because... I can hardly be the king of my own schedule. <laughs> but it's because the promise of control that, that, that we cling on to, that we, you know, we think, we, we, we believe as modern people that we have control over ourselves and our destiny and, and you know, the universe. It's nothing but a deception. It's a complete, you know, unreality. Especially, you know, if anyone 
knows anything about quantum physics, you, you quickly begin to learn, you know, our idea of having control over things, it's, it's, it's surface level. Let's just say it that way. So we can't pray. If we can't pray from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, you're king, let your will be done. We're never going to have peace. We'll never have peace in this life because we're going to constantly feel like we need to control the people and the environment and the circumstances around us in order to be happy, in order to be peaceful. But that project is doomed for failure. This is why C.S. Lewis said, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And again, I think it's one of those kingdom paradoxes. If we try and hold on to our will, what happens is the world ends up controlling us and, and we lose ourselves in the process. But if we give ourselves to his will, we rule with him, we gain him, and we also gain ourselves. Jesus talks about this in, in, in the Gospels. And again, I think this is another function of love. Because when you're a lover, lovers are constantly saying to each other, thy will be done. No, no, no. Thy will be done. No, 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 sweetie. What do you want to do? What do you, and you know, that, that you get out of that trance very quickly. But, but I think it's, it's the essence of lovers that you don't get your lover by always doing what you want and getting what you want. The, the paradox is you, you get your lover by giving yourself to them, by saying, your will be done. And so as you pray for his kingdom, this, I think this is what the point is, that the point is not about getting you into heaven. The point is about God getting heaven into you. Ask for heaven to get into you, for his kingdom, for his will to be, to invade you. And so the prayer begins by putting our relationship back in order with the father. He's the father, we're his children. And so everything that we pray is an implication of that. It's out of his fatherhood, out of our, out of our sonship in him. And so everything that follows comes from that place. All right? And the first thing we say is, God, you're, you're in charge, not me. You know what's best, not me. And then, Jesus says, we're in the place to begin to ask for the things that we need. When we've got those things in place, when we know who we are, we know who he is, we know that he's actually in charge and he's much wiser than us, then we know what we need to know to begin to start making requests. And so after setting the whole of our identity and history and purpose in order, what does Jesus tell us to pray for? Bread. I heard an Italian say, amen. Is that you? <laughs> I love bread too. So, he goes from the highest heights of heaven and earth to water and grain and yeast and salt. 
what is going on here? (laughs) He's talking, everyone. Here's a shocker. He's talking about actual food. Okay, so that's, that's our baseline. Yes, he is. He's not just talking about the bread of heaven. He's, he's talking about actual bread. Ask God for your actual bread. He cares about our material needs. He cares about your, the food that's on your table. And it's, it's representative of more than just your food. It is the food, but it's more than that. The food is a symbol of all of our daily necessities. It's representative of the stuff of daily life. And so as we talk about asking, it brings us to possibly the most important question of this morning, because I know that many of you have come here today to find out, is it really okay to ask God for parking spaces? (laughs) Is it okay? And I would say the answer is a resounding yes. Especially if you're in Manhattan. (laughs) But you think, you know, well, isn't that a waste of God's time? Doesn't he have better things to worry about? Shouldn't we just keep that to ourselves? And we're very pious and saintly that way. But (laughs) the whole point is that we, we need to learn how to depend on God like a child. We need to learn how to be his kids and to let him be dad. And so I think the danger is that if we only pray about the big things, if we only pray about, you know, these, these massive world issues or things, you know, like revival and, and world peace, then if that's the only thing we're praying about, we begin living our lives as if the only thing we need God for is the big stuff. And we begin to live as if we've got everything else under control. Thank you very much. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm preaching this in 21st century North America. Thank God, most of us who will be hearing this message are not in the position where we're wondering where our next meal is coming from. There will be some of us, but what does this have to say to you then if that's, if that's the case? Well, if, if we're generally very well provided for, we're, we're the most prosperous people in general that, that the planet earth has ever seen. Well, we've got a challenge in that because that comfort can lull us into thinking that we only need to trust God for those, those massive things and everything else is due to our hard work and, and our, our own ingenuity. So I don't really need to depend on him for that. There's a great, <laughs> there, there's a, a, a book called Stuff Christians Like, John Acuff, and, and, he, and he talks about, yeah, he talks about, we pray for meals. Everyone knows you should pray for a meal, but there's, there's certain meals that everyone knows you don't have to pray for. If it comes out of a box, if it comes out of a wrapper, you don't have to pray for that. That one's covered. And I think we, we, we can so easily get into this, this deceptive mindset that we think We're not depending on him for that stuff, too. We're only depending on him for the big stuff. 
But what happens when we begin to depend on God for even the small things? The everyday things. What happens is we're learning how to trust him. We're learning to depend on him. And actually, what happens is, you, you know, it's silly to pray for parking spaces. And yet, at the same time, what happens is you're, you're beginning to see everything in your life as a gift. You're beginning to see that even the things that we take for granted, we don't deserve them. We didn't have, a, a, you know, we, <laughs> they're a gift from our good father. And so Jesus is teaching us, pray about the big stuff and pray about the small stuff. Because God, yes, he's king of the universe, but he's also your dad. And so I believe this is how we learn to walk in step with, with both of those realities. We, we learn to walk in step with the fact that, yes, God is king. He's, he's almighty. He's all-knowing. Everything is under his control. And yet, nothing's too small to bring to him. Nothing's too big to trust him with and nothing's too small to trust him with. Notice that he says, ask him for your daily bread. Ask him today for your daily bread. And so we're asking not for tomorrow. We're asking for today, for today's provisions. And he's, he's looking back to Israel in the wilderness, trusting God for the manna, right? And, you know, is it wrong to have enough for tomorrow as well? You know, is, is it wrong to save? Is it wrong to, you know, steward your finances so that there is enough in the bank account for tomorrow? Well, I, no, not necessarily. What, what I think he's saying here is that the problem is not having enough for tomorrow. The problem is that thinking that if we have enough to, for tomorrow, that we're actually secure. That we begin to put our trust in that. If God gives us enough for tomorrow, the reality is that we don't know if we're still going to have it tomorrow. And so it's, it's deceptive to put your trust in that. And so I think what Jesus is doing here, that, you know, it's brilliant when you get into all this stuff. What he's doing is that he's, he's saying, as you trust him for the big stuff and the small stuff, what happens is you, begin, you get free from one of the biggest fears of all, which is the fear of not having enough. That fear that drives this anxiety in us to either be, to, to work hard and earn it or to, to, to grab it somehow. We're afraid that we're not going to have enough. And Jesus is saying, you are God's beloved kids. You don't have to worry about that. Learn how to be a child and ask for freedom from the, the fear of lack. He wants us to be free from concern about the future. You know, if we're going to live as sons and daughters of the kingdom, we've got to learn that he's the king. We've got to learn that we have all the provisions that we'll ever need because everything is his. We've got to learn that there's nothing too small to bring to his attention. There's nothing too big that we can't trust him with. And I believe this is how the, the truth of Psalm 23 gets worked into it. Psalm 23 famously says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't find myself in lack because as we ask, we're building a relationship of love, of trust and dependence with the king of the universe who is also our dad. 
And so we can freely ask, knowing with full confidence that he cares and that he has the power to provide. Now, there might be someone here, there might be someone watching online or in Mukunji that that you don't know a relationship with God like this. And I want to tell you that if that's you, the way that you can start a relationship with God like this is by the same mechanism you ask. And so if that's you, I'd encourage you, um, speak to him. Start that conversation and just say, Father God, I'm sorry for how I've lived my life, how I've rebelled against you, how I've tried to set up my own kingdom. Please forgive me. Thank you that, Jesus, you loved me enough that you gave yourself for me. Make me one of your children right now and give me your Holy Spirit. I believe and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And when we come to God in sincerity and we offer him ourselves like that, he is faithful to bring us into his family and transform us. So I'm going to pray as we close. And we've run a little bit over time, so we'll end with this today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible roadmap to prayer and intimacy that you've given us in, in your word. Lord, I pray that we would learn how to internalize everything that you teach us here. That your prayer would become our prayer, and as it becomes our prayer, Lord, that we would have this intimacy with God that we never thought was possible. Teach us to pause and be with you. Teach us to rejoice in the beauty of who you are, Lord, and teach us to ask like trusting, dependent, loving children. And we ask you all this as your kids, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.